thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the completion, the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, today is, well, almost every day of the year is a very special day on the Catholic calendar. Um, it's certainly a very special day if it's uh, a day dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary, as today is, as not only a Saturday, but a first Saturday. But we have a double header today because today is also dedicated to her spouse, St. Joseph. It is, of course, the feast day of St. Joseph the Worker. And so I wanted to um, organize today's show around that, uh, around, in fact, the feast day of St. Joseph the Worker. And so um, uh, my plan is to kick off the show by reading, the reading, praying the litany of St. Joseph to put us in the right frame of mind. And then I will talk a little bit about the origin of the feast day and how it came about. And um, then since the feast day itself, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but its origin is connected with social, social turmoil and the state of society, uh, I think it might be relevant to relate the concerns of Pius XII when he instituted the feast day with concerns that we might legitimately be having today and see if there's anything that we can learn from what St. Pius XII wrote about in his day that might be applicable to us today. So that's the plan for the day. The uh, phone number here, this is a live call-in show, and the phone number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y, if you wish to call in at any point in the uh, program. And so with that, let us just start uh, in honor of St. Joseph on his uh, one of his feast days. He does have more than today, but today is the feast day of St. Joseph the Worker. So let's uh, begin with a litany of St. Joseph. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. God, the Father of heaven, have mercy on us. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy on us. God, the Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. Holy Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. Holy Mary, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Renowned offspring of David, pray for us. Light of the patriarchs, pray for us. Spouse of the Mother of God, pray for us. Chaste guardian of the Virgin, pray for us. Foster father of the Son of God, pray for us. Diligent protector of Christ, pray for us. Head of the Holy Family, pray for us. Joseph most just, pray for us. Joseph most chaste, pray for us. Joseph most prudent, pray for us. 
Joseph most strong, pray for us. Joseph most obedient, pray for us. Joseph most faithful, pray for us. Mirror of patience, pray for us. Lover of poverty, pray for us. Model of artisans, pray for us. Glory of home life, pray for us. Guardian of virgins, pray for us. Pillar of families, pray for us. Solace of the wretched, pray for us. Hope of the sick, pray for us. Patron of the dying, pray for us. Terror of demons, pray for us. Protector of Holy Church, pray for us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, spare us, O Jesus. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, graciously hear us, O Jesus. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us, O Jesus. He made him Lord of his household and prince over all his possessions. Let us pray. O God, in your ineffable providence, you were pleased to choose blessed Joseph to be the spouse of your most holy mother. Grant, we beg you, that we may be worthy to have him for our intercessor in heaven, whom on earth we venerate as our protector, you who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. Amen. And St. Joseph, please guide the rest of the show and lead it in the direction you want. Okay. Well, again, this is Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. And today, being the feast day of St. Joseph the Worker, I thought I would talk about the three pillars, let's say, of that feast day, which is Pius XII, who introduced the feast day, and Pius XII, who uh, introduced or who wrote an encyclical closely related to the feast day and about uh, in the same theme as the feast day, which is Divina Remptoris, Redemptoris, excuse me, and finally, Pius XII's relationship with communism and what communism has to do with his encyclical and what communism has to do with the feast day of St. Joseph the Worker itself. So uh, let me jump back and forth and up and down a little bit in time. Uh, I'll go backwards in time. I'll start close to the present. The feast day was introduced in 1955 by Pope Pius XII. Um, and he introduced the feast day as a counterbalance, let's say, to the major feast day around the world for communism, which is May Day. May Day, the 1st of May, was a worldwide celebration of communism, and it was a day that united, so to speak, the communist impulse in all the countries of the world, all of the movements around the world, that wished to replace their governments with communist governments or wished to support their governments, which were communist governments. Now, uh, it might seem to us today to be a little bit odd to institute a feast day on the church calendar to counteract, let's say, the communist menace or, or the communist threat, because we don't really think of it very much as a very active threat today. But Pius XII had some very personal reasons for seeing it as an extreme, not only an extremely active threat, but in fact, the frontal assault on Christianity. Basically, the, that there were 
two forces trying to dominate the globe and trying to dominate all of humanity. And one of those forces was Christianity and ultimately conversion to Christ for all of mankind. And the other force was atheistic communism trying to subject all of mankind to a pure uh, materialism and actually also a kind of dictatorial rule, a very dehumanizing dictatorial rule. And Pius XII wasn't imagining this. Uh, And that's what the rest of the show is going to be about. But so as he saw the the globe sort of um, covered by, you know, there used to be an advertisement for a paint company. Uh, We cover the globe and it showed a bucket of paint that was dumped over the entire globe. And you saw this this paint spilling over the entire globe. And it's like he saw that two, two, two buckets of paint that were spreading across the whole globe. On the one hand, the bucket of paint of Christianity and conversion to Christ. And on the other hand, the bucket of paint of atheistic, materialistic communism. And he placed himself in the middle of it, so to speak, by introducing this feast day of St. Joseph the Worker to give the church a uh, countervailing force against the force of um, the influence of communism around the globe. Now, uh, as I said, he introduced this feast day in 1955. Let me jump around uh, the uh, timeline and let me jump back to 1919, because in fact, Pope Pius XII had a very close-up and personal relationship to communism, and it wasn't a very positive one. I'll read a short description of what happened. When Eugenio Pacelli, that was Pope Pius XII before he was Pope, when Eugenio Pacelli served as Vatican representative in Munich in 1919, he was the nuncio to Germany in Munich, the communists who had temporarily seized the city in the chaotic wake of World War I. Munich was actually under a Bolshevik communist government for a couple of years. A couple of years or a couple of months, I'll have to look up. Actually, a couple of years, uh, 1918 to 1919, it was under a communist. There was a successful communist revolution in southern Germany in the state of Bavaria, the capital of which was Munich. So it was actually a communist takeover, a communist revolution that succeeded temporarily. So uh, when he was nuncio in Munich during this period, the communists who had taken over the city raided his his nunciature raided his, um, uh, isn't, isn't really a bishop's palace, but you get the picture, raided the, um, the facilities of the nuncio, of the Vatican representative in Munich. And they were armed with guns, pistols, butcher knives, and other weapons. And they actually backed him against the wall, and they demanded, among other things, that he give them his limousine. But Archbishop Pacelli a slim figure in black robes, confronted them, um, even though a pistol was being pointed at him at the moment. And he simply said, you must leave here, he said calmly. This house does not belong to the Bavarian government, but to the Holy See. It is inviolable under international law. And he convinced the invaders to give up and leave. But he did this obviously at the risk of his life. He was standing there. They had just taken they had taken over the government. They were confiscating all of the government property, and they wanted to confiscate 
the nunciature. And rather than give them authority and dominion over this, what was in fact Vatican property, because it was, uh, you know, belonged to the church, he stood up to these armed brigands. I won't dignify them by calling them terrorists, but these armed brigands. And he simply calmly said no, at the risk of his life. And one could say, I don't want to say he never got over this, but it left a very indelible impression of the reality and the danger of, and, and by the way, the, the violence of, um, of communism. Now, as I said, this revolution in, in Bavaria was uh, 1918, 1919, but it came in the context of a very real threat of communism taking over many countries which were the heart of Christian Europe, the heart of Catholic Europe, in fact. Um, Italy faced a very serious uh, danger of a communist takeover. Spain not only faced a danger of a communist takeover, but, but suffered a communist takeover. The Spanish Republic, that was a communist government of Spain from 1931 to 1939. France um, was in very near danger of a communist takeover following World War II. And in fact, there was a Marian apparition in 1947 in which she miraculously interceded to stop France from becoming communist. But there was, at that very moment, actually during that very week when Mary appeared, there was what looked like it was going to be a successful communist uh, uh, takeover of France. The Blessed Virgin Mary not only appeared, but she appeared and she told the uh, visionaries who she spoke to, who she saw, that in fact she was there to save France from communism. So that's right following World War II. So this this wasn't a imaginary, exaggerated kind of a fear. It was really a very real and conscious danger that what had been essentially the Holy Roman Empire, Europe spreading Spain, France, Italy, Germany, falling under communism, and where communism comes, the church goes, of course. Um, one of the first things that the communist governments did is suppress brutally suppressed the church to the point of, in Spain, killing um, nuns and priests in the street on site and so forth. Uh, in Mexico also, when there was a communist revolution in Mexico, um, the communists did not um, believe in uh, coexistence with Christianity or with the Catholic Church. So, okay, I, I started with 1955 with the feast day. I jumped back to 1919 when Pius XII had his first early confrontation with communism. So now let me split the difference and jump forward to 1937 when Pius XII wrote or issued his encyclical Divini Redemptoris on communism. And now I'm just going to read from the encyclical. I might comment on it. Um, and let me justify the fact that I'm doing this. By the way, this is a live call-in show. You're welcome to call in. It's 866-333-6279. And I'll try to keep an eye on the uh, 
on the call board in case in case a call comes in. That's 866-333-MARY. But anyway, uh, because I think that um, in the, in the uh, response to the COVID-19 crisis and to the crippling effect that has had on economies around the world, there is a concern about uh, perhaps re- attempting to reestablish the world economy on a different basis, on a basis other than essentially free market capitalism. And one of the contenders for that is clearly something that's going to look much more like socialism or communism, in which the state basically, at the very least, allocates the resources and determines, um, uh, basically runs the economy from a central point rather than allowing the individual elements of the economy, i.e. individual businesses, individual consumers, and so forth, make all of these little independent decisions that then aggregate into the kind of macro economy. Instead of that, having sort of a central planning authority that allocates resources and decides who should do what and so forth. You see hints of that in the the phrase that was introduced at the World Economic Forum was the Great Reset, to reset the world and the way, way the economy of the world works in this response to um, the COVID-19 situation. Anyway, we're, we're in the throes of some attempts to kind of reorganize the world economy. And whenever you see that, one should certainly have antennas tuned to the danger of remaking the economy in the mold of uh, communism rather than in the mold of essentially individual autonomy and freedom. So let me read from the papal encyclical of Pius XII, Divini Redemptoris. The promise of a redeemer brightens the first page of the history of mankind and the confident hope aroused by this promise softened the keen regret for a paradise which had been lost. It was this hope that accompanied the human race on its weary journey, until in the fullness of time the expected Savior came to begin a new universal civilization, the Christian civilization, far superior even to that which up to this time had been laboriously achieved by certain more privileged nations." This isn't me speaking, this is Pius XII speaking. The expected Savior came to begin a new universal civilization, the Christian civilization. Christ intended to institute a new universal civilization, the Christian civilization. Continuing. Nevertheless, the struggle between good and evil remained in the world as a sad legacy of the original fall. Nor has the ancient tempter ever ceased to deceive mankind with false promises. It is on this account that one convulsion following upon another has marked the passage of the centuries down to the revolution of our own days. This modern revolution, it may be said, has actually broken out or threatens everywhere, and it exceeds in amplitude and violence anything yet experienced in the preceding persecutions launched against the church. Entire peoples find themselves in danger of falling back into a barbarism worse than that which oppressed 
the greater part of the world at the coming at the coming of the Redeemer. So you see that Pius XII is saying that basically this communist that that you had Christ trying to establish uh, the civilization of Christianity around the world throughout the world, and you have the uh, you still have the enemy of mankind and the enemy of Christ and the enemy of salvation, the struggle between good and evil. The ancient tempter has never ceased to deceive mankind with false promises. This is straight from the encyclical. And it is on that account that one convulsion following upon another has marked the centuries. And this modern revolution has broken out or threatens everywhere. So Pius XII is painting this picture of, on the one hand, Christ trying to institute Christian civilization around the world. And on the other hand, the enemy of mankind trying to institute atheistic communism around the world. Continuing, this all too imminent danger, venerable brethren, as you have already surmised, is Bolshevistic and atheistic communism, which aims at upsetting the social order and undermining the very foundations of Christian civilization. In the face of such a threat, the Catholic Church could not and does not remain silent. This apostolic see above all has not refrained from raising its voice, for it knows that its proper and social mission is to defend truth, justice, and all those eternal values which communism ignores or attacks. Ever since the days when groups of intellectuals were formed in an arrogant attempt to free civilization from the bonds of morality and religion, our predecessors overtly and explicitly drew the attention of the world to the consequences of the de-Christianization of human society. With reference to communism, our venerable predecessor Pius IX of Holy Memory in 1846 pronounced a solemn condemnation which he confirmed in the words of the syllabus directed against, quote, that infamous doctrine of so-called communism which is absolutely contrary to the natural law itself and if once adopted would utterly destroy the rights property, and possessions of all men, and even society itself. Later on, another of our predecessors, the immortal Leo XIII, defined communism as, quote, the fatal plague which insinuates, it, which insinuates itself into the very marrow of human society, only to bring about its ruin. With clear intuition, he pointed out that the atheistic movements existing among the masses of the machine age had their origin in that school of philosophy which for centuries has sought to divorce science from the life of the faith and of the church. Now, I don't know if anyone's listening to me, of course, because this is radio, but if anyone's listening to me, you don't listen to me because it's me. Listen to me because it is uh, Pope Pius XII, because it is Saint Pope Pius IX, because it is Pope Leo XIII, because it is the encyclical Divini Redemptoris, because it's the encyclical Quod Apostolici Muneris, because it's the encyclical... Um, I, I'm, I, I don't see the name of the third encyclical in front of me, the encyclical of Pius IX. In other words, these, these statements, this condemnation of communism, this this description of communism as being antithetical, as being directly opposed to Christianity, to the basically to the human soul, comes from these 
pontiffs. It's not coming from me. Uh, describing communism, quote, and now this is uh, Leo the Thirteenth, in uh, the encyclical, quote, Apostolici Muneris, defined communism as, quote, the fatal plague which insinuates itself into the very marrow of human society only to bring about its ruin. So it's not a it's not a question of, you know, one system which is good and one system that's better or one system that's good and one system that's less good or one system that some people think is good and one system that other people think is good. It's a question of the system that was, uh, that, uh, again, in the words of this um, encyclical, uh, that the expected savior came to bring a new universal civilization, the Christian civilization. So it's it's the civilization that Christ came to bring versus the, quote, fatal plague, which insinuates itself only to bring about the ruin of human society. Not It's not good versus better. It's not not so good versus less good. It is good versus evil. A period. And again, this isn't me. I'm just reading from this encyclical. Um, so uh, I, I don't want to read the whole thing, so I'm, I'm skipping a little bit. Um, we wish to expose once more in a brief synthesis the principles of atheistic communism as they are manifested. We wish also to indicate its method of action and to contrast with its false principles the clear doctrine of the Church, in order to inculcate anew and with greater insistence the means by which the Christian civilization, the true civitas humana, can be saved from the satanic scourge, and not merely saved, but better developed for the well-being of human society. Again, here Pope Pius XII is referring to communism as the satanic scourge. Continuing, uh, and this is now paragraph 8 of the encyclical uh, Divini Redemptoris. The communism of today, more emphatically than similar m movements in the past, conceals in itself a false messianic idea, a pseudo-ideal of justice, of equality, and fraternity and labor impregnates all its doctrine and activity with a deceptive mysticism which communicates a zealous and contagious enthusiasm to the multitudes entrapped by delusive promises. This pseudo-ideal is even boastfully advanced as if it were responsible for a certain economic progress. As a matter of fact, when such progress is at all real, its true causes are quite different. Communism strips man of his liberty, robs human personality of all its dignity, and removes all the moral restraints that check the eruptions of blind impulse. There is no recognition of any right of the individual in his relations to the collective, nor is the individual granted any property rights over material goods or the means of production. Precisely on this score, all forms of private property must be eradicated, for they are at the origin of all economic enslavement. Refusing to human life any sacred or spiritual character, such a doctrine logically makes of marriage and the family a purely artificial and civil institution the outcome of a specific economic system. Finally, the right of education is denied to parents 
for it is conceived as the exclusive prerogative of the community in whose name and by whose mandate alone parents may exercise this right. So let me talk about this a little bit. Um, actually, you know what I'm going to do? We're already halfway through the show, and I usually take a short musical break about the halfway mark. So I'm going to do that now, and I'm going to play a very charming, upbeat song, which is a little bit at odds, perhaps, with the sound of the you know the tenor of what I'm speaking about. But let me give a little background to this song. The Blessed Virgin Mary appeared in France as a church-approved apparition, apparition at Ile de Bouchard in 1947 when uh, the communists were um, uh, at the verge, on the verge of taking over France. They had planned a general strike and it looked like it was certain that France would fall to communism. The Blessed Virgin Mary appeared in this little village, Ile de Bouchard, and she asked the children to pray the rosary every day to help her save France from communism. However, she asked the children before they began to pray the rosary every day if they would sing the Hail Mary in French, the Je vous salue Marie, in her honor before they said the rosary. So every day they would meet in the little village church and the children would sing the Hail Mary in French and then the um, actually the entire village would gather in the church to, to pray the Hail Mary. And miraculously, the communist takeover attempt failed. And this, so that, this, okay, so you see the connection here. This is the song that the children would sing at the request of the Blessed Virgin Mary when she asked them to come and sing and pray to defeat the communist takeover of France. So with that introduction, let me play the song. Okay, well, I, I hope you enjoy that. Um, and perhaps perhaps we're playing in the background, so to speak, to, uh, to beg the Blessed Virgin Mary's intercession to, per, to protect us in our day from the danger of encroaching uh, materialistic, atheistic communism. Um, I was hoping to get a call during the break, actually the musical break, I'm still hoping to get a call. If you wish to call in, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. But perhaps while awaiting that call, let me just make a comment on the relationship between Christianity and communism. Um, I, I was 
sympathetic to communism when I was in my an adolescent, when I was a teenager. And in fact, there you could say that communism is is um, um, an imitation of Christianity without God. Imitation is too strong a word, but the communist ideal. Um, seen from 20,000 feet, looks like the Christian ideal, right? Everybody shares equally to to each according his, to his ability, from each according to his need, um, all possessions held in common, um, a equitable distribution of goods so that nobody is in great need, and so forth. And in fact, we saw this in the book of Acts, right? In the early Christian community, everyone sold their goods and, and put their money in a in a common purse and distributed resources as they were needed so you could say what's the difference between the communist ideal and the christian ideal what's the difference between the communist system and christianity in practice the answer is actually the fallen nature of man the 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 um, sin nature of man our state of fallen human nature due to original sin because the problem is that the communist system holds up this ideal of everything being shared and distributed somehow fairly or equally, but that would work in one way if people were sinless, and it would work another way if people were selfish and exploitative and greedy. And the communist system basically suggests that we can wave a magic wand and when we convert our government to communism, man will no longer be in a state of original sin. Everyone will do what's good for his neighbor rather than what they want for themselves. Now, we know that for that to happen, there has to be conversion. There has to be a very deep transformation in Christ. If someone could wave a magic wand and have everyone convert deeply and be transformed in Christ... Then we could go back to that scene in the book of Acts where everyone sells what they have and contributes to a common purse and only takes what they need and so forth. But as long as that conversion has not taken place, and I don't know where you live, but where I live, it's not very visible that it has taken place. Then whoever has the authority to distribute goods, whoever has the authority to allocate the wealth, is going to use it for themselves and isn't going to use it for others. And that's, in fact, of course, what you see in communist countries. You see, um, you know, communist, well, look look at North Korea or something where, where the ruler of North Korea is very fat and flies around, needless to say, in, in helicopters and has thousands of servants and so forth, while most of the population is, if not actually at the starvation level, starved. Um, or you see that in you saw that in the Soviet Union with the the leaders of the government with their villas on the Black Sea and um, normal families crammed several families into a one room apartment and so forth. If somebody is deciding who gets what, it's not going to turn out well unless that person is a saint. And so there is a way in which communism is a kind of satanic counterfeit aping of Christianity without Christ, without conversion in Christ. Um, so it's not coincidental that uh, the, the direct 
opposition between communism and Christianity. They really are sort of um, God's version and the devil's version. And um, anyway, I better get back to Pius XII because um, <clears throat> I... I said earlier, you shouldn't listen to me, so why am I babbling? Let me get back to uh, Pius XII. He speaks with some authority. Um, so back to his description of uh, communism. What would be the condition of a human society based on such materialistic tenets? It would be a collectivity with no other hierarchy than that of the economic system. Um, it would have only one mission, the production of material things by means of collective labor, so that the goods of the world might be enjoyed in a paradise where each would, quote, give according to his powers, close quote, and would receive according to his needs. Communists claim to inaugurate a new era and a new civilization, which is the result of blind evolutionary forces culminating in a humanity without God. You see in this picture of Pius XII that the picture that he's painting of what the communists paint as the picture is a picture of man not in a state of fallen human nature, but in a state of perfection. Um, when all men have finally acquired the collectivist mentality in this utopia of a really classless society, see, the conversion to communism in this model that uh, Pius XII is presenting entails essentially a tremendous uh, transformation in Christ and would require transformation in Christ. But Pius XII is suggesting that simply turning into a communist state would be sufficient to make everybody all of a sudden sinless. But I see we have a caller. Um, did you have a comment or a question, Gloria? Well, I would like to say you have certainly enhanced our household uh, and we want to thank you for for the hours you give to Radio Maria and your program. Um, I just have a quick little. When I was young, and I'm not anymore eighty, but uh, um, um, my grandfather at in nineteen something like uh, forty five. I was about five or six. I always wondered why he uh, brought home this at Christmas time. His kids would give him a book on the um, what was going on in Germany, and I, we couldn't understand really. I could not uh, what why all the mm, I guess the hatred towards your people, my people, or uh, I'm not Jewish. I was Catholic then, and still am. And I, my husband and I were chatting about that. Why? Uh, is that part of our salvation going through penance and stuff and um, like what brought that on was that God's plan in Toto well that's in a great words, question the, <laughs> do you have do you have 30 hours that's a great question and I, I, I wrote a book to answer that question it's called Salvation is from the Jews it's about 400 pages long so right. I won't do it justice but I think that um, in the in I don't want to say in the long run, but the overarching view, of course, is nothing happens that isn't divine providence. Nothing is out of the control of God. So whatever happens, by definition, in some sense, is part of God's plan. And we know that God's plan 
uh, you may be too young to know this, but most people find that there's a lot of suffering in life. I'm joking, but of course, there's a lot of suffering in life. God's plan usually involves a lot of suffering. It involved the cross, of course, for our salvation, you know, for Christ. So just because something is God's plan doesn't mean that people are spared suffering. I think that what happened in the Holocaust, what happened with the rise of Nazism in Germany, was a huge um, collision, let's say, between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. I think that um, Satan has always had a vehement hatred of the Jewish people because, of course, uh, his defeat came through the Jewish people. Christ came through the Jewish people. So, um, uh, in a way, Satan's number one enemy now is the church, obviously. He's fighting against the church. But the church came about through Christ, and Christ came about through the Jewish people. So, until he had the church to be his number one enemy, he had the Jewish people to be his number one enemy. And so there was a tremendous diabolical hatred against, there is, against the Jewish people, which you still see today. And I think that's what's behind a lot of anti-Semitism. And on top of that, you have the fact, um, this is easier for Catholics perhaps to understand than for non-Catholic Christians, but um, it is actually dogma that there has to be a, a widespread conversion of the Jews for the second coming to happen. And although the coming of Christ was this great defeat of Satan, and you could say the greatest defeat of Satan, nonetheless, the second coming of Christ will be the end of the game totally for Satan. And, um, could you, yeah, thank you, turn that down. Um, and so uh, if there has to be conversion of the Jews for the second coming to happen, and if the second coming is going to be the end of the road for Satan, then Satan, of course, wants to avoid the second coming. And if there has to be a conversion of the Jews for the second coming to happen, then anything that Satan can do to stop the conversion of the Jews is also buying him time. And I think that that was also part of his motivation for trying to um, either exterminate the Jews or certainly keep them from converting. And the Holocaust actually has had a very damaging effect on the evangelization of the Jews also. So it's only a nutshell. I can only give you a nutshell. But um, uh, I think that if you if you start thinking and praying about the Holocaust, you have to see a war between God and Satan being fought out on kind of two battlegrounds, one battleground being the church and the other battleground being the Jewish people who were the original church. Fair enough? Uh-huh. Oh, very fair enough. Okay, and, good. Um, I'd like to ask, please, um, somehow, a list of books for someone uh, planning on, like, opening up a little book, Catholic bookstore, because the one that we have here in Lafayette, Louisiana, is not quite sufficient, and, and as well-rounded, I find, and you know, I don't want to go excursions against any bookstore, you know, especially part Catholic, but uh, every now and then, if we wanted to order stuff with a, a number and all that, to, I guess, put wider range of books, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Some are really good, some are not too, too good, so... Yeah. But you're doing a great job, by the way. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, I'm going to have to go back to the show. But I would say, um, you know, there's some very good Catholic yeah. publishers. There's Ignatius Press. There's Tan Books. 
Um, there are uh -huh. there are others, and if you just look in their catalogs, uh, you know you you know okay. that, that's a good first place to turn. And if you're thinking of opening up a Catholic bookstore, I'm tempted to say I'll pray for you because um, it's certainly going to be a mission of love <laughs> and not a way to uh, get rich quick. But thank you very much, and thank you for your right. call. Thanks. God bless you. God bless. We, we listen to you every day, so um, I pray for your, you know, just, uh, you're doing a great job. I mean, remember, we're humans listening to you. Okay. You know, we, we're not used to perfection always, you know. I just, it, it's rather comical, but I just, okay, Roy, just slow down. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't worry about us. You know, we're learning a lot. Okay. Old Catholics. That's all I'm going to tell you. Okay. Thanks okay? a lot. Uh, thanks for calling. Thanks. So, Bye. so um, I better go back to um, the encyclical. Um, the um, so I'll just continue where I left off. Such venerable brethren is the new gospel which Bolshevistic and atheistic communism offers the world as the glad tidings of deliverance and salvation. It is a system full of errors and sophisms. It is in opposition both to reason and to divine revelation. It subverts the social order because it means the destruction of its foundations, because it ignores the true origin and purpose of the state, because it denies the rights, dignity, and liberty of human personality. I think one could probably talk for an hour about this paragraph. Uh, it seems very deep to me and very beautiful. It's as though communism puts things upside down and puts the cart before the horse, so to speak, that the origin and the purpose of the state is to protect the rights, dignity, and liberty of human individuals. The state is there to protect the individual, not the individual is there to serve the collective, to serve the state. And wherever you see this upside-downness of the state um, having sovereignty, so to speak, over the rights, dignity, and liberty of the human personality, what you see over time is essentially enslavement, even if that is not exactly that word enslavement. If the state has the right to tell you what you're allowed to teach your children, if the state has the right to tell you you're not allowed to teach your children that God exists, or... You're not allowed to teach your children that um, you're a girl or you're a boy. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's, it should be considered comical. Or you're not allowed to teach your children that God created uh, the institution of marriage to unite a man and a woman and um, produce a family and also support each other in, in love and so forth. If you're not allowed to teach your children that, you know, you may not be enslaved to the state in the sense of having, you know, irons around your ankles, but the, the thing closest to the human heart is enslaved to the state. Your, your ability to raise your children to God. Um, if the state has the right to tell you what you're allowed to think and what you're not allowed to think, uh, what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say, um, what profession you can pursue and what profession you're not allowed to pursue, you know, oh, wait, how about when the state has the right to tell you um, that you have to, excuse me for saying this, but inject a experimental drug into your bloodstream 
and you have to allow your children to have this experimental drug injected into their bloodstream. I'm not talking about anything specific, of course, because I wouldn't want to get politically incorrect. You know, then whatever happened to the rights, dignity and liberty of the human person? So communism turns things upside down because the, the individual is entirely subservient to the state. The state is there to protect the rights of the individual and not the other way around. Um, Pius XII is talking about communism. And um, I started out talking about communism. But obviously, um, there's a gray area here, right? Because, because you can have a society which is not communist, is not overtly communist. But you can have this kind of creeping effective communism where the state's rights, the rights of the state, not the state's rights like the right of the state of Massachusetts, but the, the right of the government um, creeps, spreads more and more and more and more and overshadows more and more of the rights and dignity of the individual. And by the time the state interferes with the raising of a family, by the time the state interferes with the a parent's ability to educate their children, um, you can't call that communism, properly speaking. But I think you can see that that is the aspect of communism that Pius XII is most specifically reacting against. Um, uh, there is another explanation for the rapid diffusion. I'm back to the text of the encyclical. There is another explanation for the rapid diffusion of the communistic ideas now seeping into every nation, great and small, advanced and backward, so that no corner of the earth is free from them. This explanation is to be found in a propaganda so truly diabolical that the world has perhaps never witnessed its like before. It is directed from one common center. It is shrewdly adapted to the varying conditions of diverse peoples. It has as it at its disposal great financial resources, gigantic organizations, international congresses, and countless trained workers. It makes use of pamphlets and reviews of cinema, theater, and radio, of schools, and even universities. Little by little, it penetrates into all classes of the people and even reaches the better-minded groups of the community, with the result that few are aware of the poison which increasingly pervades their minds and hearts. I'm going to stop there because I think that Pius XII was prophetic. He's writing this in 1939 and he is describing, I don't know what you want to call it, um, you're, I, and I don't want to get overtly political, so I'm not going to name names, but a, a gigantic worldwide organization with gigantic resources that is um, infiltrating making use of cinema, theater, radio, schools, universities, penetrating into all classes of the people um, with a propaganda truly diabolical directed from one common center. So, so um, that's what we're talking about, and that's why uh, Pius XII instituted the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker to cast the dignity of human work in the mold, in the, in the context of the individual, of autonomy, of rights, of freedom, and not in the mold of a 
cog in the wheel of the state. So I have used up my hour. So um, I, I think I, if I can find it, let me just go back to the um, litany of St. Joseph and read a few lines. Um, Spouse of the Mother of God, pray for us. Chaste Guardian of the Virgin, pray for us. Foster Father of the Son of God, pray for us. Diligent Protector of Christ, pray for us. Head of the Holy Family, pray for us. Hope of the Sick, pray for us. Patron of the Dying, pray for us. Terror of Demons, pray for us. Protector of Holy Church, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Shoman. And I have come to the end of the hour. So it's time for me to go. I'll be back here next week, same time, same place. I hope you join us. And let me go out with that lovely song of the children singing the um, Hail Mary in French. And um, we'll just go out with that song.